This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to photojournalist Carson Gardner and he's going to be speaking to us about the protests in Chile. Carson was recently there covering them from the barricades and he's going to tell us what he's seen. So far, over 20 people have been killed by the government who are trying to crush the protests. They've installed a curfew, they've brought the military out onto the street. And in some cases, we've even seen protesters are actually firing back at the police with live rounds. So it looks like things are escalating quite fast and Carson's going to give us an idea of how this all happened. If you want Popular Front to keep moving forward, if you like what we're doing, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon at patreon.com slash popularfront. You've just been in Chile recently reporting on the, the situation there. Let, let's go back to the start. Maybe you can explain to people what exactly triggered this and what is happening now because it's not in the news that much. I don't want to go down the route of saying mainstream media aren't covering this because they are covering it, but it is being overshadowed a little bit. So, yeah, maybe you can go back to the start and maybe explain how this all happened. So, I mean, it's it's a thing where it's like, it, like you said, it is being covered, but I don't think people get the scope of what's going on. It's like everyday uh, stuff is happening there. Every day there's protests and confrontations with the police. And, like, it goes back to October 14th when there was a... Uh, there was a planned protest against the a uh, fare increase for the Santiago Metro. And essentially what happened is a bunch of students got together and they decided to uh, skip the fare by jumping the turnstiles and like disabling the turnstiles. And then this uh, escalated and a bunch of uh, d uh, different stations got shut down. And then over days, this kept going on. And then a video came out where the, the police, uh, the, the military police that uh, are used in, in Chile, they, uh, they shot a young woman in a uh, metro station during one of these protests. And sort of that video went viral. And then like it was like the, uh, I, the match, I guess, that, that set everything off. Like people started going to the street and then other groups started joining in in the protests. And then sort of like this undercurrent of um, unhappiness at the, at the uh, social and economic situation just sort of uh, was released. And so you had like people from all over the, the spectrum uh, decided to protest and, and it spread outside of Santiago. And um, with this, the, the police ended up, is it, you have to understand it's the same police that they had during the dictatorship. Like this, the Carabinieri. Yeah, exactly. They they've been uh they've been around since like the 1920s or something, and they haven't exactly changed their their the tactics very much since then. So like uh, repression is their immediate uh, reaction to to anything. So when the protests spread, the the police went into like uh, let's go and beat the shit out of everyone mode, and uh, started trying to shut it down that way, and so. On I believe it was the twenty fourth of October, you had like one point two million people go to the street, which is like a crazy amount considering the population is uh, I think it's just under twenty million. So like a significant portion of the population was was gathered in Santiago just to to protest. Like like there isn't a a, a main set of of things that they're protesting about, but it's sort of about the 
the overall in, uh, economic inequality that's taking place in the country and sort of the uh, disenfranchisement that's been taking place despite the massive economic gains that have been, have been going on in Chile. Right, well, maybe we can talk about that. What are these um, these problems with the economy and, you know, the disparity between rich and poor? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that because that, like you said, was, you know, that was the main reason and then the, the turnstile thing was just like the straw, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, the thing is, you have to understand that that Chile has done exceedingly well as as like in a t just pure economic terms. Like uh, they've had a very liberal economy, and and this has allowed them to to grow uh, as a, as a nation like exponentially. It's the richest country in in South America. But the problem is when you have like these large amounts of economic freedom, and it, where it does allow for a lot of economic growth, at the same time it leads to uh, inequality. Like in uh, of of like the uh, major OECD countries, the, Chile is the most unequal country in in terms of the the ratio of rich to poor, um, and so there's been this ongoing trend that the country's been uh, been getting richer, but the people haven't been seeing it, and so I think like. Uh, you, it happens every couple, I don't know, every five years or so that you start getting protests in Chile where people are start getting like upset because they've been promised this, this economic change that's supposed to like, uh, revitalize them, but it doesn't really seem to trickle down to the, the, the poorer people. I mean, it seems to just concentrate the wealth in, in sort of the upper echelons. And so the thing is like just pure inequality wouldn't be the the only thing that that would set it off i mean you have in south america you have more uh, economically e unequal countries like uh, brazil's ahead uh, of it in terms of economic inequality colombia all these uh, ecuador bolivia but um the thing with the, these other countries is that they haven't gone through the same sort of uh, massive economic growth that that uh, that Chile's been been going through, and so when the youth of today were growing up, they were thinking, "Well, when uh, I'm an adult, and when I graduate from college, I'll be able to get a good job, I'll be able to get a good house, and I'll be." They, their expectations were uh, X, and w what happened in reality is that the despite being able to the the country improving overall, they've they've been sort of stuck, and then on top of that, there's been a they haven't really uh, been able to take part very, very strongly in the decision making of the country. The the Sebastian Pineda presidency is is sort of, I guess, a center right uh, government. But it's this thing is that all the governments that they've had have been sort of center right, or or even the leftist governments that they've had have been not not super keen on reforming the system because overall it's it's been beneficial for the the country and so the the people even if they do want uh sort of extreme change there isn't really an avenue for them to get to it because most of the politicians that they have are going to be towing the same central line right well that, that's interesting because a lot of people you know i've spoken to a few people about this mostly there's a lot of anarchists there i've spoken to just randomly reached out and then I spoke to like the other side as well before, you know, before we spoke and I've spoke to some people there that are like, well, why are they even protesting? Like we have this incredible growth, like what's their problem? But like you said, it's like, yeah, incredible growth for some people, which to be honest is going to make you even more mad if you see that, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, 
Martin Luther King said that a riot's the voice of the unheard, and I think that's essentially what it is in in Chile: is that you have this large population that is just not being heard by the by the government, and and like they've been doing this work to improve themselves, and it just hasn't really been getting them anywhere. And like to your point, where there's some people that are saying that they don't really understand why all these why these people are protesting if it's going economically so well. And I've I've spoken to some Venezuelan refugees that are that were living in Santiago, and uh, it must have been a shit situation for them because they just managed to escape like the hellhole that's that's Venezuela right now. And then they were saying they didn't really really understand uh, why. Uh, the people were protesting so much, but uh, at the same time that it was good that they were willing to do it, that they were willing to go into the street and that they were willing to like put the government into a position where they have to listen, you know, and where they're, they're, they're forcing their voices to be heard. Right. And one of the, I forget exactly, maybe you can remind me, but there was one demand that the protesters had. I think it was pulling, like scaling back the, the, the fare increase or something like that. That has been met, right? But they're still out on the streets every day. Maybe you can, uh, you know, elaborate on that a bit. So uh, Sebastian Pinera, uh, he was elected uh, to another term previously. And then in 2010, he, uh, there was massive student protests back then as well. And so he managed to sort of escape that, but he's been following the the same uh, the same tactics for this this set of protests, which is basically like he's fired his entire uh, staff. He's basically said that I'm going to give into the demands, and then he alternates, and then he switches that I'm going to that the protesters are the enemy, and so he's sort of uh, he's doing whatever he can to stay in power. The big uh, thing that they that protesters have been wanting is for a, an update to the constitution. The constitution is the same one that they've had since the. Uh, the Pinochet dictatorship. And so uh, the the idea of rights aren't exactly uh, uh, in concrete, let's say, in the in their con- in their constitution. And so the the government said, uh, okay, we'll have a we'll have a uh, referendum on the constitution. Uh, we'll get all the politicians together and we'll decide on what changes that should be made, and then we'll bring it to a website to the people. And the people were like, no, fuck that. That's just going to be putting more corrupt politicians in charge of deciding what rights that we get. And so uh, Pineda has been willing to make concessions, but only because his back's against the wall. And like I've spoken to people that have worked with him. And basically what they've said is that he's so enamored with the idea of being president that he'll do whatever it takes to stay in power. He has like a 12% approval rating right now, which is like... Uh, crazy low um, and but he's he has like there's it seems to be that the only thing that will actually help to to solve the situation would be him renouncing and uh, it doesn't look like he's be, he's going to be willing to do that and then on top of that you have like the extreme violence that's taking place on the on the hands of the police which is causing the protesters to become uh, more willing to escalate themselves and to become more uh, staunch in their views of what they want to be accomplished and a lot of that is stuff that the government's just willing not to not to give Right. Well, let's talk about the uh, the protests, actually, because you're one of you know one of the journalists who's been there on the ground on the barricades. Maybe you can explain what it's like there. You know, the makeup of the protesters, what kind of tactics? Because from what I've seen, this is not their first kind of protest, as we know. But you know what I mean? It's like they're really quite advanced. They know what they're doing. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you can tell us about that. So I've been to to sort of like riots or protests, I guess, in like a few countries. And like Chile is the most organized group of people I've seen at, at protesting ever. Like it's when I was there it was like uh, it was kind of like medieval warfare, the way they have it set up. They have like 
uh, when you get there, so basically the protests happen every day in Santiago in uh, Plaza Italia, which is like this big giant square in the middle where I'm sure like everyone's seen the photos of the guys waving the flags on top of the, the statue. But anyway, so everyone gets there and then there's like the, the big group of, of, of regular protesters, which are just like families and whatever. And then like at a, at a certain time, the police show up and then that's where like the, the hardcore, I guess you'd call black block protesters like uh, are there to like engage with the police and so in sort of a medieval fashion they have like a front line that's just uh guys with like shields that are like made out of fucking anything that they can get their hands on i saw one guy like holding a sink uh turned sideways as as like a shield and they they form a sink yeah he had like a sink with like the (laughs) the handle being like the faucet it was it was pretty cool um and then, uh, so they have like the front line set up there that are like shielding the guys. And then the, the guys just one line behind them are throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails. And then, uh, behind that, you have like an industry of people that are like breaking up the sidewalks and then like fum- forming human chains to ferry the rocks to the front so that they can, uh, throw them at the cops. And then, uh, behind that you have, uh, people with lasers that are sort of standing on top of, uh, just elevated positions and then uh, shining those lasers at the, at the armored vehicles that are spraying waters to try and blind the, uh, uh, the drivers and the guys shooting the water cannons and, and stuff like that. And so like, there's like a system to, to how they have it set up. And so like, this has meant that they can actively engage with the police and make the, the, the police often retreat. Like, uh, the last day that I was there, the police uh, were like, all right, we're not going to let anyone gather at the square. We'll, we'll go and set up at like uh, one o'clock in the afternoon before everyone gets there. And then if anyone tries to set up, we'll start gassing them and, and, and uh, shooting them with uh, non-lethal rounds. And so uh, they held this position. They had like a bunch of reinforcers coming in and, and, and like staying static on this central square. And then like somehow the protest Protesters managed to, uh, uh, I guess, push from multiple sides to the point that the police had to pull back. And, uh, like, eventually the, the protesters were pushed out of the square, but, it, like, they were able to retake it three or so times. And, like, if you think about the amount of resources that the state has, the amount of tear gas, the armored vehicles that they have, they've recently started using tanks in the square. Like, uh, it's pretty impressive just, like, how... Well, I, I, actual tanks or the, the armored personnel carriers? No, no, like, actual tanks. So, basically what happened is the, the, the police there, they have uh, these two trucks that uh, spray water that are like, uh, yeah, just water cannon trucks. And uh, one of them ended up overheating and the, the cabin caught on fire. And so it was out of service. So what they had to do, what the police did and the military did is they called in the army who brought in like these small, like actual tanks. And they're trying to use them, I guess, to like herd the, uh, the protesters in certain directions. But like, it seems like they're sort of grasping at, at straws to, to try and contain a situation that just doesn't want to be contained. Right, but they they immediately brought in the army, right? Like it it was what like two or three days before the military came in, and there was a curfew as well. Yeah, so there there was a curfew in several cities directly after things uh, started taking off, and I think that that was sort of like 
Pineda's overreaction, thinking like, uh, well, I'm just gonna, just gonna like try and shut this down with force, you know? And so like there were these, these curfews and they, the military was called in. But the thing is that I think it's important to note is that the, the main police force that has been combating the, the protesters is a, is like a military police and that it's like, uh, it's a, it's a police force with a military structure and that in the event of a, of a, uh, state of emergency like what happened in the first few days they become activated and become part of the the armed forces uh, before being returned to being uh, just police and the issue with this is that when there's uh, in every country that i've been to that has had like a military police force is that they're trained to basically wage combat and then if they're doing a policing role then they're going to try to wage combat on the civilians of their own country i've seen it like in brazil i've seen and and in chile it's 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 become very apparent that that's what they're relying on to try and maintain the situation. So the the military being called in and the curfews in the first few days were like an overreaction on uh, Sebastian Pinera's part, but at the same time it just made everything worse because uh, like people refuse to live under a dictatorship. They've they've had that for so many years where thousands of people were were disappeared and were killed, and so like the the youth that are there nowadays. And, and the people that, that uh, remember the dictatorship are, are just like refusing to be silenced, independent of how much force the government is willing to use. Right. And in terms of force, they've uh, they've started using live rounds. They, they've they've killed how many how many protests? Someone said to me it's like over a hundred. So I th- the official count is twenty six. Okay, <laughs> well they're not quite hundred then. But the thing is, you have to keep in mind that uh, like there are people that have died that they haven't that they haven't officially like associated with the protests although they are uh most likely being caused because of the protests like there's uh people that will show up in the hospital that have been beating with like fractured skulls and uh they they won't associate that directly with the police but that seems like there's a high probability of being like that the major issue with the the violence that i've seen is that the police are using uh basically they they're non-lethal rounds they're, they're what they are is like a metal ball that's encapsulated in rubber and then uh the idea is that you shoot it at a protester that's like uh 20 meters away and it hurts like a motherfucker and then uh they, they'll stop advancing or whatever but the uh police in chile have decided that they're gonna basically aim for people's heads so you have like 200 people's eyes have been have been essentially just shot out uh there was a kid that was there when on the when I was there that uh, he had both his eyes shot out in the in like the same protest and it, like he's gonna he's like twenty years old he's gonna be blind for the rest of his life uh, um, and like I went to, so when I was on the first day that I was there I was uh, I was photographing the the police and then the the police bum rushed uh, a bunch of protesters and then the protesters scattered and uh a group went down the side street and i guess this one guy ended up getting uh ambushed and he got shot like five times i think it was and i i came across him as i was like trying to find a way of not getting shot and uh he when I I took him to the hospital with some other people and when I got to the hospital, uh, even though he'd been shot five times by these these uh, non lethal bullets, like the the they had to put him in the waiting room because there were so many other injuries. And it should be noted that like the non lethal rounds, despite being called that, are 
like the range that they're being shot at, uh, they penetrate into the skin and they leave like the the little uh, musket ball type thing uh, underneath the skin and underneath the flesh, and it stays inside people. And so this guy had five what were essentially like marbles uh, stuck inside of him, but he wasn't considered a high priority because like he wasn't going to lose uh, a limb and he wasn't going to die. And uh, so like this is the the type of violence that that. Uh, is like is common like that's that's not even like an exceptional story there's like cases of of uh pe- of protesters protesters saying that they were raped by the police that uh that there's cases of protesters being beaten to the point that they've died i've been putting um some of the footage on the on the popular front instagram uh, specifically from chile and there's just like no end of people sending me videos from police brutality and what's what's a little bit different, you know, that I've noticed from this is that the police seem to be very open about the brutality. It's almost like they want you to see, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Did you get that impression? So it's like it's they still have that dictatorship mentality, you know, where it's right. like, like we're, we're protected. Tough. Yeah, we, we're protected by the government. And so the way that we're going to uh, make people stop protesting is by basically beating the shit out of them or shooting them with rubber bullets. Like I had the police shoot at me. Uh, like three times with with uh, with the uh, non-lethal rounds, and they hit me uh, twice with them. And uh, like when I was photographing off to the side, I wasn't like the one of the times I was like the the first person that was shot in the in. So like they were like not targeting the main group of people and accidentally hit me. It seems like that they were going out of their way to to target. Um, a journalist i guess and so like there's there's this sort of uh willingness to just like be very obvious about it you know um that you don't see it in a lot of other places i mean most other places will try to justify it as, as being in like self-defense whereas it's sort of a very um brazenly aggressive tactic in in chile and who, who, which units are using the live rounds? Like you said, what, what, 26, 28, I forget. That many people have been killed. I know they haven't all been killed by live rounds, but I know some of them definitely have been killed by the live rounds. Like who is, is that the military or, or is that the police? So that's the, the first case was the, was the carabineros, the, the police. Um, like the thing is... Uh, it's like a paramilitary. Yeah, it's, it's like... Uh, yeah, it's essentially a paramilitary. Like, uh, it's like instead of having uh, police where they're civilians, it's like the police are military, and so they have a military discipline structure, rank structure, um, and so this sort of imposes like a high level of, of authoritarianism to their own structure, which I think they try to impose on the population. And uh, so, like, of those 26 that are officially dead, um, I, th- I I don't know exactly how many are, like, officially killed by police. But, like, there's also um, the, like, people that haven't directly been killed by them, but have been killed by, like, uh, the, the police have fired uh, smoke grenades into a, an enclosed building. And then, then the buildings burned down and people died inside of there. Like, uh, stuff like that. Um, so, the the direct correlation between like the number of official security forces that have been uh, responsible for killing people. And then like the amount of people that are, that are dead is, is hard to figure out right now. Right. And also I've seen footage where protesters are firing back and I don't mean Molotovs. I mean, shooting guns. Like there's actual uh, police, um, 
body cam footage of, of protesters just you can kind of see them in the distance and then you just hear pop 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 and then you know protesters are firing back did, did you see any of the you know guns on the protesters so I, I didn't see any any of that personally i saw that the video i think that you're talking about and like that definitely does sound like incoming rounds um but that was in like uh that wasn't in uh downtown santiago that was in sort of uh, a rural area and like i haven't i didn't see any uh, firearms when i was there i know that some of the protesters have been uh other people have told me basically that that they carry uh, like bb guns to fire at the police but uh i haven't seen anyone use uh, any of the protesters using live rounds but i i think if there's definitely like an extreme element that if they had the ability to ha have access to firearms they would potentially use them yeah well that's what i'm quite interested in with with the chile situation because for years I've been following like militant guerrilla groups and what have you, and there is quite a serious hardcore anarchist militant group and groups in Chile. Like, for example, before these protests kicked off, the students were really starting to go mad at some of the universities. I forget what it was about, but they were running around with like cratefuls of Molotovs, like very militant and, you know, like proper old school anarchist type stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't see it getting any better. Like, I think they definitely, there's certain groups, I guess I'm saying, that are certainly ready for taking things up a notch, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, the, like, the, I think the violence that they've been exposed to has made them more willing to respond with violence. And then this is sort of like creates a feedback loop with the police more willing to use violence against them. And I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. I mean, like, the if the main thing that's stopping that right now i don't think is like lack of will i think it's lack of like uh munition honestly like if uh the protesters had access to firearms that i wouldn't be surprised if they would be willing to if, if a group of them would be willing to use it and there's definitely more extreme elements there's like degrees i guess with like everything like within the the protesters there are more extreme elements that that definitely do want to cause significant armed uh, harm to police. I I ended up getting what at one point I was photographing when uh, the police uh, basically uh, bum rushed the the square and uh, pushed the protesters back, and then I was photographing the police. And uh, due to the the high number of like undercover cops and uh, that have been infiltrating protesters. Uh, I guess that uh, they assumed because I was on the side where the police were that I was uh, either like an undercover cop or I was some way affiliated with them. And then I had like some dude run up and, and throw like a giant stone at me. And so like, I think there's like a definite will to, to like uh, cause harm on certain parts of the protesters. But I mean, as to whether or not that's justified or not, I mean, the the police are definitely the sort of instigating violence. It's not that the uh, that the protesters are. It's not that the the protesters that are going in and attacking for the police at the start. It's that like every day at a certain time, the police show up and start blasting the entire square with water cannons, start shooting. Uh, the the rubber bullets they start uh, uh shooting tear gas i mean i got shot by the police with the tear gas canister too in the back um the 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 rubber bullets like i said like uh the they keep saying that they're going to stop allowing them from the police force from using them i've heard this three separate times 
the com the co commander of the police saying this, and then uh, like the, the police forces keep using them. The they did like an analysis on the the bullets and like. Uh, they were like surprised that there was metal in it. Like, I guess there wasn't, there's not supposed to be metal, but like anyone that's been on the street would know that. And then on top of that, there's apparently lead in the metal. So it could end up like poisoning the people that have been shot with them as well. Right. And also like, it's basically a bullet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like it's shot out of regular shotguns. Exactly. And so, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into like if there's like a justified need for escalation and violence, but I definitely think that like the way that the the government forces have responded has not helped uh, defuse the situation. Yeah, and I, I don't even know if as journalists it's it's anything to do with us. Like are we like so what if you know, if we say, Oh well, that wasn't justified or that was like so fucking what? Like it's it's not up to us to say, you know. Right, it's right. it's very easy for Westerners specifically to be like well, I was in favor of them until they attacked that police officer. Well, like, cool, you're living nice. Like, you, you're safe. You don't know what it's like, you know. And personally, I believe that, you know, against against kind of impinging, like, uh, infringing authoritarianism, physical violence, it, it you have to do it sometimes. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's a tool that has to be used at times. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, we've seen throughout history, it's not nice. And then a lot of Westerners will be like, well, they did this. Well, sorry that the conflict isn't going exactly as you wanted it, you know? It's like a lot of the perception is based on, can I support this? Well, I hope they act in a way that means it feels good for me to support them. And it's like, there's nothing to do with you, you know? Like it's uh, like you said, it's not really our place. It, it's, it is what it is. They're getting killed. And, you know, they feel it's necessary to, re to resort to violence and it's not good, but, it, you know, life isn't always nice. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. I think like I think uh, it's become too easy for for, I guess, I don't know, uh, outsiders to say, well, this is what you should do with your country. When at the same time, like civilization has been built off the back of, of revolutions and and, uh, and basically blood. And so, like, I don't think it's it's I don't like to comment on whether or not I think violence is justified. I, I think like if you're going in there as a journalist you need to be an observer in in most cases and um i i just i i hope that it it, it manages to get resolved without breaking into large-scale civil conflict exactly like yeah exactly that's the thing it's like hopefully there isn't violence hopefully it can pan out without that but you know sometimes it does um, where do you see it going from here? You know, you've been on the ground and you, you've spoken to the protesters. I know you've kind of hinted that you think it's going to get worse, but like a few things have happened recently. What do, what do you reckon? So the the thing is like the the main thing that could have stopped this like a month ago is if Pineda had resigned and like he doesn't want to do that. So uh, since then, it's just escalated. And the violence has become more intense. The protests have become more ingrained. Like the the concessions that they were originally asking for, like even if they do get met, I don't think it's likely that a lot of people will be willing to um, stop going to the street because things haven't really changed. And like you said, they've gone, they've protested a lot in the past. And like the system still maintained itself. You know, it's it seems to. Uh, perpetuate regardless of of what concessions are made. So I don't think that it's likely that um, that it's going to end anytime soon. Do I think it's going to escalate into into uh, like large scale civil violence? 
I think that's probably unlikely too, because I mean, society as a whole tends to tends to function like it's not a situation where in like Bolivia, where it's half the population half against half the population. It's like eighty percent of the population is is against the government the against what the government policies and the inequality, and then like. Uh, 12% are in favor of it and then the remainder just like can't be bothered so I I don't think there's there's enough of like two sides for that for to cr- uh, go into large-scale conflict I think what could end up happening is it drags out to the next election the next election takes place and then that's uh, that sort of resolves it or an early election is called or something along those lines um, I don't like I said I don't I I don't think that there's enough of a, a like, um, I think that the population is so united behind this that it's, it doesn't seem like there's, there's going to be uh, a, a, like a civil war breaking out or something like that. Right. It's going to be, well, possibly, but the people against the government as opposed to against each other. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is like the way that they got, uh, re- they got rid of uh, Pinochet was sort of through protesting and it was relatively unbloody and he sort of was phased out. So, I mean, they're used to get getting rid of uh, authoritarian governments through uh, sort of, I guess, social action. But at the same time, like you have a government that doesn't want to relent. I mean, you have a police force that probably really doesn't want to get held accountable for what's happening. I mean, I suppose there's a possibility of uh, authoritarian elements within the government trying to take control and trying to reinstitute sort of a a dictatorship type situation. But at the same time, like the as you can see by the amount of people on the street and their willingness to escalate despite facing uh, losing their eyes or getting killed, I don't think that the Chileans are going to take that very easily. Yeah, Um, I know know you said there's no real kind of this is an anti-whatever protest, but when you're on the ground and you're talking to protesters, what is the main thing that they're saying? So they they talk a lot about the inequality and also about just like not having their voices heard by the by the government. They they feel that like no, regardless of what happens, they're never going to be able to move up in the in the um, in the world. Their their uh, economic and social status is going to remain despite going to universities. The that the amount of so Chile has easy access to credit, which is generally a good thing. But at the same time, they're, they're, they've used this as a tool to sort of, um, I guess, to, to keep control of the population to a certain degree. Because if you go to university, there's very few public universities that are low cost or free. Like if you want to go to a good high school, you, you generally have to pay for it. Like 50% of the population is going to, uh, or 50% of the schooling population is going to private schooling. And a lot of ways that they pay for this is through uh through debt and so people are becoming enslaved to the debt and and so even if they do graduate from a good university they're going to be uh stuck with this debt even if they do manage to get a good job they're they're still going to have this debt and then a lot of the times uh there is this uh, class segregation i guess where uh, when people do graduate, they take on this debt to get a good job. They don't get hired because there's favoritism. favoritism. There's um, there's there's like an, a ruling elite that seems to to hold all the cards, and and they don't really have any method of of voicing their discontent except through going to the streets. 
Sounds like Britain. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, our youth don't want to go to the streets. They just want to like cry online. But uh, yeah, whatever. Um, all right, man. Um, is, there, is there anything else you think we should, uh, we should cover before we wrap this up? No, I think, uh, I think that's basically it. I think that um, you could see a trend of this happening in, in Latin America. I mean, you see what's happening in Bolivia. Yeah, some, some people are calling it like the Latin spring. I mean, I think that's a bit over the top, but yeah, it's, it seems to be spreading. I mean, yeah, there's there's a possibility for it. I mean, um, it, it's it's like Latin America tends to like jump between like far right, far left, far right, far left. And so like maybe it's time for another swing after the, the, the far right one previously. Um, so I think it could extend outside of the outside of Chile. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon, but um, it could, I definitely think that the the violence could escalate. Yeah, man. Well, I think you've done a great job um, uh, covering all this. Where can people find your work and you know get in touch with you if they want to? So uh, mostly on my Instagram, it's Instagram Instagram.com slash ch gardener and my YouTube, uh, which is slash ch gardener g a r d i n r as well. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say spell your name. It's 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 not like gardener is in like the bushes. It's something else. Yeah, weird French ancestry, I guess. Um, I'll be posting videos from my time in Chile, and I'm going to be doing a photo book from there as well. And I hope to go back. Amazing, man. Well, let me know when that photo book is uh, ready, and if you need any help. We'll certainly push it for you. Awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Thanks very much, mate. That was Carson Gardiner speaking about the clashes in Chile and how he thinks things might pan out now that the government doesn't seem to be moving an inch in terms of stepping down as a protest want them to. Um, if you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. That's the main way that we stay afloat because we don't have any corporate backing. We've refused a lot of advertising as well due to it just seeming wrong. It just didn't feel like, nah, that's not what Popular Front is about. Um, so yeah, to, to help us keep going and to get the bonus episodes and access to the Patreon and all kinds of other extras, go to patreon.com slash popularfront. This episode also was sponsored by the defensepost.com. Defense with an S, definitely check them out. They're posting regular updates on the world in conflict. And do check out our YouTube, youtube.com slash popular front. We've got a new, well, the first part of the Hong Kong documentary. We were out with the frontliners, uh, me and Luke Pierce, who was filming, uh, and Jack Hazelwood, great uh, field producer. We were we were out with the frontliners, both on and off the the front line of the protests um part two will be coming this week so by the time this is out part two will be on its way um yeah youtube.com slash popular front instagram you won't be able to find us by searching us because we're shadow banned and there's loads of restrictions on our account because i don't know instagram doesn't realize that you know journalism that isn't very boring is not uh promoting terrorism is just different journalism um, but yeah, so you have to go to instagram.com slash popular dot front. Like you have to search the whole thing because we won't come up because they're censoring us. Boohoo, you know, I guess it's been happening for so long now. I should probably stop moaning about it. But yeah, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's twitter.com slash Jake underscore Hanrahan. My surname is spelled H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Or the popular front Twitter, which is twitter.com slash popular front co same as the website popularfront.co everything basically just go to the website if you want to tell someone what's popular front www.popularfront.co go there everything you'll see it all um yeah 
Thank you very much to the following Patreons. Without you, this definitely would not be possible. They are Adam Berg Snyder, Axel Iverson, Azad, Brian McLaughlin, Chad Walker, Christopher Martin, Craig Miller, Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Diana Gorvanek, Eloise Larson, Emiliano, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, Frank Austin, Jack Mayhoff, James from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Josh, Juan Hernandez, Kay Hardy Roberts, Lawrence Abrahams, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, LH, Lika Madik, Moody Al Rashid, Noah, Ari from the Discord, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from What Bitcoin Did and Defiance podcast, Q Ball, Russia Al Akidi, Rohan Abari, Ryan Sandercock, Skartoon Music, uh, Sebastian from the Discord, Sarushe Hawazi, Stephen Davila, STV, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, Vida Provost, and Zachary Inch. Thank you very much. Like I said, if you want to support Popular Front, go to patreon.com slash popularfront or go to popularfront.co slash support. We accept Bitcoin and various other methods there. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to avoid getting any like ridiculous kind of sponsors on here to keep things going. So, you know, the best way is the Patreon so far. Yeah, the music, the intro music was by Home and the outro music is by Sam Black. As usual, go to his SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash sun dash of dash old. I'm going to buy him a fucking um, redirect URL, actually. I think that's driving me mad saying that every week. Anyway, yeah, go to uh, YouTube, go to the website, all of that. Cheers.